Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Thank you, Pastor. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give Him praise in the house tonight. Give Him a standing ovation in the house tonight. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, I believe we're in the midst of a move of God. I don't know what miracles you came needing tonight, but I make a declaration over you. God is hearing your prayer. He is hearing your prayers about your children, about your marriages, about your finances, about your dreams. He hears his people. His ear is not deaf, nor is his arm short, saith God. He hears his people. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor say, God hears me. Yes, yes. Thank you, God. Yes, hallelujah. Yes, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. What an honor to stand in this pulpit tonight of a great man of God, Pastor Tom Hauser. Those of you that are, amen, that are blessed to be his sheep, you are blessed indeed. I honor all the pastors in this house tonight. Pastor Willie, Pastor Terry, I honor in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, that we love and adore. Tonight, I am so excited what the Holy Spirit has sent me to teach you. We removed two robes last week. What are robes but invisible things that the enemy has placed on our lives trying to get us to carry things from our childhood, carry things of traumatic experiences that we've been through. But the Holy Ghost delivers us of all of these robes. Last week, we removed the robe of fear. The robe of fear. Who was delivered from the robe of fear last week? Lift your hands, make a declaration. Who was delivered from the robe of unforgiveness last week? Amen. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be free of those robes? Tonight, we shall see through the Word of God that we can be delivered from more robes, invisible things that are upon so many Christians. Tonight, we are going to remove the robe of religion and tradition. We are going to remove the robe of judgment and criticism. And we are going to remove the robe of Words that are negative and complaining. 
Who's ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit that you shouldn't have said what you said? <laughs> Every hand in the house has gone up. Well, tonight we are going to study in detail. And covering three robes in one night is a lot of work. So get your listening ears on. Open your spirit wide to hear the Word of God and to be set free. The first robe we're going to remove is the robe of religion and tradition. Rules, rules, rules. That is all religion teaches people. Rules. I was a fourth generational member of a religious cult, and I was raised under lots of rules. And the leaders of this cult were always changing the rules. So you never really knew where you stood with God because you were trying to live up to all these rules. We had the rules that we could not cut our hair. We had the rules that we could not wear pants. We had the rules we weren't supposed to watch television in our house. Someone asked me recently, they said, you rarely wear dresses. I said, well, after all those years of wearing all those dresses, I don't still think I've recovered, and that's why you see me in pants a lot. But all these rules, no makeup, and Lord knows I needed it. Can I get a witness here? I said, I thank God I was in rebellion to that system when I met my big daddy because without some Maybelline, I believe big daddy wouldn't have come back to my house. You know what I mean? But rules, rules of not going to universities, only going to high school and graduate. Control, control, control. That is what religion is. I love that John 8, 36 says that Jesus Christ came to set us free and deliberate us. And he is speaking about religion in that moment. And I love John 8, 32, where he said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I'm sure that many of you in this room did not get raised in this extreme legalism. But how many of us are always trying to get God's approval? How many of us are always making sure that we read enough of our Bibles or that we speak in tongues enough because we think... We are trying to live up to rules. Look at your neighbor. Say, God isn't about rules. God is about love. So this robe of religion, we truly never feel like we do enough to satisfy God. I bind in Jesus' name <laughs> every spirit trying to disrupt. I come against, and we pray in the name of Jesus that he will feel the love of God. 
He will feel the peace of God and he will be delivered in Jesus' name. Amen. That's love. Amen. That's love. Y'all should be super duper excited. You know it's some good teaching when you get interrupted that many times. <laughs> Look at your neighbor say, it's time to focus. <laughs> Hallelujah. If there's one thing that we as the people of God need to always remember, any pressure upon you to feel accepted from God is demonic. Anytime you're feeling less than, anytime you feel like that if I do this, then God's going to love me more, or if I don't do this, God's going to love me more. God loves you the same when you become his child. It is not based on your performance. It's not based on a list of rules. When you get saved, and I love one of my mama, Velma Balan's favorite sayings. She said, you don't have to beg save people to behave. She said, save people behave. You don't have to beg save people to quit sinning. Save people don't want to sin. You don't have to beg save people to remember to read the Bible because save people love reading the Bible. You don't have to beg save people to come to church because save people love coming to church. There is such a difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Love your shirt. Such a difference when you have a relationship with Jesus. I used to, we, they used to teach us to try to go out and witness to people in that religious cult, and we would have to memorize all these things, and half of them didn't even make sense. I hated doing it. But I knew if I didn't, you know, I would get shunned. And eventually when I became a Christian, I did lose all my biological family. But I gained millions of people as my family everywhere I go. So it is, was so amazing to me when I got saved that I didn't have to remember to say anything. I would just literally ask people if they knew Jesus. And if they didn't say, well, I don't want anything to do with religion, I said, I don't either, honey. Come here. Look at me. I don't want anything to do with religion. If we had a long time, you would see why I didn't want anything to do with religion. And I would say to them, and I would feel so good in saying, ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. And when you do that, he will do it in such a way that you will want a relationship with him too. Religion is not what I want. I looked up the definition of the word religion, and according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it is a belief in a God or a group of gods, an organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, and rules used to worship a God or group of gods. What is the definition of tradition? According to Noah Webster's dictionary, it says, the delivery of opinions, doctrines, practices, rights from a father to a son. That which is handed down from age to age through oral communication. That is what tradition is. 
I remember when I graduated from the Watson School of Education at UNCW, and I was a brand new teacher. They sent us to a workshop, and I believe the story they told us that day relates to exactly what religion is. They told us the story because they wanted educators to get out of traditional teaching methods because it had not been working. And they needed to think differently and put the traditional to the side and start thinking about how to truly teach students. And I remember the story that they shared at this workshop. And this young lady was fixing a pot roast and she invited her mother to come over for dinner because she learned how to cook a pot roast from her mother. Her mother was talking with her, and she took out the pot roast, and she washed it off. Then she put it on a cutting board, and she cut off like an inch of beautiful meat, and she threw it in the trash can. And the mother said, what are you doing? What are you throwing away that beautiful meat? And she said, Mom, you taught me how to cook a pot roast, and I always saw you cut off about an inch of the meat, then you put it in the pan. She said, baby girl, I cut that meat off because my pan was too small. Your pan is big enough. Quit cutting off the meat. What does that say to us? As the people of God in our religious practices, practices we sometimes, through our traditions, cut off the meat of the word. We cut off things just because our grandmother or our grandfather cut things out, and they didn't do it that way. As Christians, as born-again Christians, we must get rid of traditions that do not line up with the Word of God. We must get rid of religion and truly let people see us with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is time to stop cutting the meat of the Word off and truly devour the entire Bible so we can be the people of God that we are are called to be. Jesus Christ, the living word. John 1:14 said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you are studying the word of God, when you stop cutting the meat of the word of God off and you start really getting in the word of God, your life will become abundant the way Jesus said that we could have an abundant life. How many people want a more abundant life? To be just so full of the power of God that when you show up in a room, the atmosphere shifts immediately. So full of the power of God that when you show up, demons want to act up. Come on now. When you show up because you don't have religion, religion is bondage. But relationship with Jesus is freedom and love and power and peace that passes all understanding when you have a relationship. Mark 7, 13 in the Amplified Bible, listen to this scripture. Jesus said this to the religious leaders. He said, thus you are nullifying and making void and of no effect the authority of the Word of God through your tradition, which you in turn hand on, and many things of this kind you are doing. Your traditions, 
if they do not line up with the Word of God, are making the Word of God have no effect in your life. It can be scary to step out of that traditional box sometimes. It can be scary to say, I'm not going to do it that way anymore. I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to get in a church like Global River. And I'm going to sit under a man of God that is full of the anointing and teaches me the word of God alone. That is what getting rid of that robe of religion and tradition, taking it off of us as the people of God, will liberate you at the highest levels. Open your Bibles to Mark, the third chapter. Mark, the third chapter. And I will be reading out of the New King James Version, verses 1 through 6. I believe without a doubt that religion is stopping the healing that needs to happen in the United States of America. Religion, watching our clocks. Religion, we've got to sing a song this way. We've got to do this way. When hurting people are sitting among us. Now, Global River does not do this. Pastor Tom will move with the anointing. He lays hands on the sick. He sees miracles here. But it is so amazing that many times the hurting, the sick, the broken, the mentally tormented sit in our own churches. And they are missed because of religion. Because we've got to be out at such and such a time. Because we have to th do it this way. Amen. It is time for that to stop. Amen. It is time for us to literally, as the people of God, be so full of the Word of God that we can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We can cast out demons and they have to leave people alone. We speak with new tongues. I know my neighbors think I know about 50 languages as I walk in my backyard speaking different tongues. One day I thought, well, that sounds like Chinese. Praise God. I got a new prayer language. But we will do these things for the glory of God. Mark 3, verses 1 through 6. And he, speaking of Jesus, entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger and being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus Christ went around doing good, went around healing people. They would touch the hem of his garment, and they would be whole. But he walked in the temple that day for that man. He's in every church 
to heal everybody there. He is here tonight. We have felt his presence here tonight. And whatever you need, Jesus will meet your every need. And I believe without a doubt, because I preach in huge state prisons. Of course, I'm not preaching in the middle of COVID, but we're shipping out thousands and thousands of Bibles. We're in 20 states as we speak, shipping out Bibles and my Bible studies so those women, while they're on lockdown because of this pandemic, can get the Word of God that they need in the midst of the darkness of being locked up. And I believe through ministering in prison ministry that God is moving us away from people being highlighted in any way that you have to lay hands on somebody. I'm telling you, in prisons, you're not allowed to touch those women inmates. And I have seen women get healed, get delivered. They write testimonies. They say, we don't even have to use glasses anymore. We ask God in the midst of the service to please heal us. We're healed. I've seen women write, and they're healed of cancer. I mean, the presence of God moves mightily. And it's not based on me. It's based on God. All we have to do as a people of God is preach the word of God and let God do what he does best and heals people in the midst of any situation. Religion stifles us. A relationship with Jesus frees us so we can love everybody. We can believe everybody can be set free because of Jesus Christ. And it's so exciting I think the next big move of God is going to be moved by pastors and people that aren't even national names, and God's going to move mightily, and people are going to get born again, and prostitutes are going to get full of Jesus and go out to the streets, and drug addicts are going to get full of Jesus and go out to the streets. It is a move of God that we are believing for, and you cannot have a move of God in the midst of a bunch of religion. But you can have miracle after miracle after miracle when you have a relationship with Jesus. It is so exciting. And as one delivered from so much religion, that's why I'm so fanatical about knowing the Word of God. Because when you throw that robe off of you, all you want to do is talk with Jesus. I used to get so excited to have coffee with Jesus. He never needed the caffeine or the coffee, but I did. You know what I mean? But to sit in my breakfast area with my Bible and talk to the Lord, telling my dreams, telling my needs, telling my pain, telling what I needed that he listened to me. I mean, it's amazing when you have a relationship with Christ. You know that he loves you. I love how people quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believeth in him would have eternal life. Go to the 17th verse. Jesus did not come to condemn you. Jesus came to save you. Jesus loves you. Religion makes you feel less than. 
relationship with God makes you the giant in the land that you really are. Can I get a witness? And I love saying, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you'll walk differently. And people know that you are God's and God's alone. I remember I was in South Carolina speaking with this chaplain. And he was telling me this story. He was like, I've got to tell you this story because I know you're going to love this story. He said, because of the way you walk. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how do I walk, you know? But then I think, I walk as a great woman of God. That's how I walk, with confidence in the Lord God Almighty. I got my heavenly swagger on because I put that religion off. Can I get a witness here? Religion makes you like this. I mean, how you do? I'm not doing good. I'm telling you, my family's messing. You get relationship with God. People are like, how you doing? Oh, I'm highly favored. I am anointed. I am full of the Holy Spirit. How long you got to hear how I'm doing? And I remember this chaplain, and I'm always amazed by the chaplains in these prisons are graduates of Harvard and Yale and Princeton. They're in Duke and Chapel Hill. They're getting all these degrees from these top universities. And I'm sure I missed whoever your university is. I'm sure it's top two. But I just remember chaplains telling me where they, and, and they were just so academic, but yet so full of the fire of God. And he said, I remember when they gave me in South Carolina the toughest prisoners, male prisoners, and he said, the chaplain before me said, it's so important when you enter that hall. He said, because these guys will throw urine on you. They'll spit on you. They don't like chaplains, he said. So when you hit that hall and you enter, open that door and there's cells on both sides, you have to say, man of God on the hall, man of God on the hall. He said, the first time I did that, and I was going, man of God, there was this inmate beating on the glass. And he said, come here, come here. He said, you don't have to tell us. You a man of God. We know you are a man of God by your walk. Now, come on. People know when you serve the Lord. People know when you love the Lord, even when you mess up. People know when you love the Lord. That is relationship. Hello, great man of God. That is relationship. Look at your neighbor say, I have a relationship with Jesus. It's so exciting to get that robe of religion off of you and tradition off of you and just have a relationship with Jesus. Stand to your feet right now. Let me just pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you that even residue of religion and tradition on the people of God tonight, including myself, God, any way we have any religion or tradition, even at a subconscious level, I'm asking God for you to remove it. Because, Lord, you told me the people of God gathered here are true seekers of truth. Those watching online, 
They know there's so much more, and you're getting ready to do a big move on this globe. You're going to do phenomenal things, and you want to use people, Lord, that do not carry that robe. So in the name of Jesus, I command all residue and robes of religion or tradition, I command them gone, and angels get them out of this house right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise. Look at your neighbor say, you free. Hallelujah. You may be seated. It feels good, doesn't it? Woo! I'm telling you. It's amazing. I bet when Bishop came to our country, he was floored at all the religion he saw. Like, you got to be kidding me. Because the relationship with Christ is what we're about. Knowing him as our Savior. Knowing he loves you. When you're loved by Jesus, women of God in this room, let me break it on down to you. These husbands will be hollering amen or boyfriends. <laughs> a man can't fix you. If you're feeling neglected, tell it to Jesus. If you want to feel more confident, tell it to Jesus. And if you want your husband to honor you more, tell it to Jesus. I'm telling you, when you get so full of who you are in Christ... Your husband is like, whoa, 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 baby, 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 come over here. <laughs> you be looking fine tonight. When a woman is full of confidence, it's beautiful to a man. Can I get a witness here? When a woman is whole, it's beautiful to a man. Don't suck the life out of your husbands. Get on your face before God. And let me tell you something, as I told Dave Costa one night. I said, Dave, you better be careful with how you handle me. I am a woman of God, and I'm daddy's favorite, so you better be real nice to me. He said, well, baby, I didn't mean it that way. I said, I forgive you, honey. But you better ask God, because I'm his girl. You know what I mean? My daddy's a king. And he said, well, baby, my daddy's a king, too. I said, so then you know how you're supposed to treat royalty. Come on now. I mean, there's so much freedom. You're so confident when you don't have that robe on. So confident. I used to be terrified of people. Terrified. I never felt enough because of all the abuse and the rape as a child. But when Jesus liberated me, and I realized I didn't have to do anything for him to love me. And when you love by Jesus, I mean, you are loved. And I, I'm, it's so funny. Some, you, you won't even realize when somebody's rejecting you. I mean, when you realize how loved you are. You are like, one day I went to this funeral, and I remember just talking to this woman. And then three days later, I said, oh, my, she was so rude to me. Lord, why didn't I just kept on talking to her? I said, she was like, get out of my face. I could see it all over. But I didn't care 
because I just wanted her to know the love of God. And when you are so full of his love, you won't worry if people reject you because when you are accepted by the great I am, you aren't worried about who loves you because you're so full of his love. Look at your neighbor said, you mighty loved by God. Amen. I'm happy to be free, Pastor Tom, of that robe. The second robe that we are getting rid of, I believe every one of us can slip this robe back on. Every one of us. Because we live in a negative society. If you don't believe me, why do we say go to the first stoplight? Why don't we say go to the first green light? Why is everything negative? Our country's negative. Just turn on the news. It doesn't matter who's president. Everybody's negative about him. You know what I'm saying? We are in a negative society. And I need you to understand that. You are like a salmon and you are swimming upstream with the supernatural power of God. And you are cutting through all the negativity as a child of the living God. And we must get this robe off of us. We must get this robe off of us. As I said last week, we need to be reprogrammed. Our language is the Word of God. And this is how we talk. Many times we have all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a phrase designed by Satan himself. Because the most hurtful things are through words. And they can be so damaging. I have been in our counseling offices at our ministry, and I have seen grown men weep like babies, successful in the world's eyes. And I know pastors seen this many times in the prayer counseling that goes on here, which is phenomenal that I've had done for me, and I love it, love it, love it. But those grown men, successful, weep like babies because of what their father spoke over them, what their mother said over them, their teachers, their coaches. We need to understand as the people of God that Proverbs 18.21 is true. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. What you're speaking is very powerfully. Look at your neighbor and say this. Words are powerful. Use wisely. They are extremely powerful. You can destroy a young child's life with one sentence. Or you can be the difference that he or she will talk about the rest of their lives through your words. Psychologists teach about self-fulfilling prophecy. This is a well-known psychological um, principle that what you speak over a child, they will fulfill in their lives. 
You may have a child who is brilliant, academically gifted, or a child who's very athletic. But if people are continuously saying negative things over that child, you can have a genius child believe he is very dumb. One of the most powerful examples of this that I recommend highly is the life story movie on Dr. Ben Carson called Gifted Hands. The most brilliant brain surgeon that ever has walked this earth, his teachers told him he was dumb. But he had a praying mama. And that man separated twins that were connected in their brain and God gave him a technique which became worldwide known that they have used. And Dr. Carson was the one that performed that surgery. But yet somebody told him as a child, because of his race, racism was involved in it as well, which God hates. Don't get me on racism. My mama and daddy are African American. Don't get me on racism. And the church should never participate in that vile, demonic that will send people to hell if you are racist. I know that's strong, but that's the word. Can I get a witness? And I love telling people, my Messiah is a person of color, so get over yourself. Can I get a witness? Get over yourself. Back to the negative words and complaining. I took a detour, but God was all in it. Can I get a witness? I about jumped up in a pew on that one. Hallelujah. Words are powerful. There are so many scriptures about words. Jesus said you will be condemned through your words, or you will be liberated through your words. There are so many scriptures, and in this Bible study, I list a lot of them to let you see that the Word of God says your words have creative power because what you say affects people around you, and it affects you. So we must be honest and know that words are powerful. In America, we have contracts, and people write words out, or they give a verbal, um, I'm going to do this, then they go hire an attorney and figure out how not to do it. So I believe that our country doesn't understand the power of words because we see very few people taking words seriously at the highest levels. But this word is truth. And as Christians, this is our final authority. And let me say to you as I continue to teach about getting this robe off, God never condemns you. If you are being highlighted in your soul realm, your mind, will, and emotions, that you need to be more conscious of the words you use, don't feel condemned about that. That is the Holy Spirit liberating you so you can be free and you can live the abundant life that God promised for you. Never when you're under an anointed teaching or an anointed pastor, if they step on your toe, please go give them a gift and thank them because if you're not being challenged and iron is not sharpening iron, you better get yourself to a church that will preach the truth to you. Yeah. 
Words are powerful. Many times in the scripture, you will find how powerful words are. You are made in the very image of God. And through his words, everything you're looking around was created. Now, we cannot create like God, but we create atmospheres through our words. Can I get a witness here? You know when you go in a house, the old Southern saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You've heard that. It's because mama's been speaking some bad words and everybody's upset and running to their bedrooms. But when you walk in that house, daddy knows when he walks in that house that there's been some negative words spoken in that house. You can feel it. Let's look at the story of Jacob and Esau to see how powerful words are. And I'll go to the scripture after I give a quick synopsis. Jacob and Esau were the twin children of Isaac and Rebekah. And these twin boys were powerful representing two nations. Even within her womb, they fought each other. Jacob was second born. He was the baby. And Esau was the firstborn. And Esau, forgive me, Isaac was literally on his deathbed. Rebecca's favorite was Jacob. Jacob is what we would call a nerd. He loved to stay around the tents. He was always on mama's coattails. And he did not like to go do the manly stuff like his daddy Isaac did. Esau, the Bible says when he was born, he was very hairy, but he was an amazing hunter. And Esau preferred his father over his mother. And Isaac, Rebecca heard him say to Esau, I'm getting ready to die. I want you to go into the field and get me my favorite food. Bring it back, fix it. Sit beside me and, and feed me. And I'm going to speak a blessing over you. The firstborn blessing is what was happening. The firstborn blessing is literally that father, by his words, bestowed everything to that firstborn. He did save some for the secondborn, but the firstborn got everything. Rebecca heard that. And she went to Jacob and she said, Jacob, your father is getting ready to speak a blessing on Esau. He's passing. I'm going to fix your dad's favorite food. And I'm going to go get some animal skins and put them on your arms. And I need you to go and sit by your father's bed, say you are Esau, and get the blessing of, that he's going to pronounce. Jacob did everything she asked. He showed up by the bedside. And you can read through this. And Isaac said, wow, you found this game very quickly. And here you are. And he said, it's so tasty. He didn't make it. He didn't make it. Rebecca, his wife, made it. She knew her husband well. And he said, the arms feel like Esau, but the voice is like Jacob. And he said, no, I am Esau. Please speak a blessing upon me. 
And Isaac blessed him indeed. He blessed him so mightily. When Jacob walked out of that tent, he knew that he was blessed. All of a sudden, Esau shows up. And he said, I'm back, Dad. And I'm paraphrasing all this. And he said, I've already blessed you. He said, no, you haven't blessed me. That was Jacob. You did not bless me. He said, Father, please bless me. And he said, I cannot. There is nothing to bless you with. He said, your brother has the blessing. Do you understand that in America, we would have said, hold up. Get the wheel back out. We're going to rewrite this. We don't really believe words are that powerful. But literally, in the Old Testament, the word is so powerful that Isaac could not retract those words. Those words had gone out, and those words were going to happen. And we need to understand when David said, put a guard on my mouth so I can't say things that don't need to be said. We, as the people of God, need to repent over things that we've said over our very children. Can I get a witness here? We, as the people of God, need to repent over what we said over our husbands, over our marriages, over our family in Christ, and don't dare put your mouth on a man of God like Tom Hauser because God will not take that lightly. I am telling you, words are powerful. They are powerful. Let us read here. Open your Bibles to... We're almost finished with this robe. To Genesis, the 27th chapter, and the 30th verse. Genesis 27 and 30. We can't even wrap our heads around that. Why couldn't he change what he said? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad to live under the age of grace that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ, that we can make our negative words null and void, and we can repent of what we've said as the people of God. But I need you to understand that uh, unless you repent, unless you break their power, that those words are going to still be out there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Some of you need to call your children tonight, and you need to say, I'm sorry. I love you and I'm proud of you. And leave it there. You probably won't hear much back. But I promise you, your words are powerfully affecting your children. Genesis 27, 30 through 33. Hallelujah. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. I just want to confirm to you in the word here. And Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of the, his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? 
where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Words. Words. Parents, bless your children. Dads, they may be in rebellion. Been there and done that with mine. But we need to tell them we love them. We need to bless them. We need to be like our Jewish heritage. We've been grafted in. And we need to truly bless them. That doesn't mean you endorse their sin. That doesn't mean you jump in the middle and do a line of coke with them. Can I get a witness here? Let's be real. That doesn't mean that. Paul said, certainly not. But your words are life-giving. I promise you that if you start blessing your children with your mouth, I promise you, you will see them more. Because who doesn't want to be blessed? We don't want to be condemned. We already know we're in sin when we're out there. Can I get a witness? They were raised by you. They know when they're messing up. Love them back in the kingdom and use words if necessary. Look at your neighbor, say, bless your children. Look on the other side, say, bless your wife. Look on the other side, say, bless your family. Look on the other side, say, bless your friends. I am telling you, when the Holy Spirit truly gave me revelation of the words I use, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I mean, everywhere I looked, I could see the power of words. I remember hearing how Elvis Presley said he was going to die at the same age of his mother. He died at the same age of his mother. I remember when I went to Dallas, Texas, I went into the J.F. Kennedy Museum, and I was just looking around. And it had in that museum where John F. Kennedy, our president, said he feared that he would be killed in a parade. See, because I had that deep revelation of words, I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, have you ever looked back over your life and you've seen where the words you've said has come to pass? I always tell mothers, please never speak over your children. If you don't stop that behavior, you're going to end up in prison just like your daddy. That is the most horrible words because you're putting something in their minds. Don't do that. We've all done that. I don't want you to be condemned. Before I got a revelation, there were things I would say because I just taught to be negative. If I had a cold, I thought it was cancer. Can I get a witness here? If I had a sprained ankle, I thought my leg was broke. I say, oh, I broke my leg. I mean, it's amazing how you just say things and you don't even realize it. It was so funny. I've told um, you before that I'm so fanatical about words that my husband has back issues and literally um, night before last, he was going to bed and we had this new bed that's supposed to be fabulous for your back and all this stuff, you know. And um, so he got in the bed and he said, 
my back is killing me. And yes, Jennifer, I know I've just spoken to get ready for my funeral <laughs> because I've told him, stop saying your back's killing you because killing you means you're going to die, Dave. Can you quit saying that? And now he's like, and Jennifer, I know you're going to ask me what I want at the funeral. Because I said, Dave, I make that null and void in the name of Jesus. And let me lay hands on that back. I'm tired of hearing about that back. That back's keeping me up at night. I've got to, we got to get the back fixed, okay, in Jesus' name. But I remember thinking, anyone that's around me long enough know they're, they may hear, if, if you say something negative over your marriage, there's a way to present a prayer request without complaining and speaking death over what you're trying to get help over. And if you are not telling somebody like Mama Pat Walls that knows how to pray about it, then you're actually just complaining about it, and you're not going to change anything because the word complain in the Hebrew means remain. If you complain, you're going to remain. If you complain about your sorry husband, you're going to go home to your sorry husband. If you complain you always get a sorry man, you're always going to get a sorry man. If you complain about you broke and you don't have no money, you're always going to be broke without any money. If you complain about nobody likes me everywhere I go, people are mean to me, nobody's going to like you, and everybody's going to be mean to you because your words are Powerful. I love every morning after my prayer time, and I may not do this 100%, but I try my best to. I have 10 scriptures that I pray over myself. And then I end my saying with this. I mean, I'm, I'm saying pure scriptures and put my name in it. As one that's been through breast cancer twice, you can believe Isaiah 53.5 and 1 Peter 2.24 are part of those confessions. Can I get a witness here? And I, after I say all the many scriptures, I always lift up my Bible and I say, this word is final authority over my life. I believe what this word says over me. And this word says that I am highly favored that I am wealthy. Now, I'm, don't just go to money. Real wealth can't be gotten at Wells Fargo. Can I get a witness here? I am wealthy. I am highly anointed. Everywhere I go, people love me. I am loved by God. And I walk in his favor all the days of my life. And I really make myself say it. When I'm tired or I'm in a battle, I may say it more than once. But my favorite scripture in that lineup and getting words out of my mouth is 1 Chronicles 4.10 that says that Jennifer Costell called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be upon me to keep me from evil so that I would not cause pain. And God granted my request. I love speaking the word of God because I understand Psalm 103 verse 20 says, when I speak the word of God, that angels heed to the voice of the word of God. 
So I love when I am saying the most powerful thing I could ever say as a woman of God. And Hebrews 4.12 says distinctly that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That it literally breaks through our soul realm. It breaks through our spirit realm. It breaks off the negativity of the world. It takes off all the negative words we say. That when we speak the Word of God, everything changes around us. But we must say it. Make a list, your assignment. And this amazing young man that I love, can you imagine at 18 making a list of verses and getting up every day and saying those verses? How would our lives be different? But I am so happy that we serve the God of Joel 2.25 that says he will restore what the enemy stolen out of our lives. But you got to speak truth. I want you, those of you that have the Bible study, I want you to go through every scripture. I want you to get it down in your spirit how powerful words are. We are so honored to have a judge in the house with us tonight. If you don't think words are powerful, sit in her courtroom and wait till she sentences somebody. Then tell me words aren't powerful. Tell me. Think about it. Look at your neighbor. Say, words are powerful. Your homework assignment is I want you to make a list of 10 to 12 scriptures that apply to your life alone. And just like you get your water in the morning, brush your teeth, have your coffee, I want you to speak those words out. Bishop and pastor and Pastor Terry are in total agreement with what I'm preaching here. We, as the people of God, speaking the word of God, removes in the name of Jesus Christ negativity and complaining. Please don't complain. 1 Corinthians 10.10 says, the Apostle Paul says, Nor complain, as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Your complaints... And you know the difference between a prayer request and a complaint. <laughs> Amen. It is easy. Don't unleash the enemy because you're disobeying God's word. If you have an issue with your husband, then you go to your husband in the humility and the beauty that God has placed upon you. And I promise you, when you say things a certain way with a man... They will listen to you. And if they don't, tell it to Jesus. <laughs> tell it to Jesus. I wanted to read this quickly before we move to the last row. Because I keep hitting, hitting, hitting how important words are. I remember when I was researching this early on in my walk with Christ, I'd looked behind a lot of theologians, and I thought, well, let's see what Hallman thinks. Hallman's a very conservative theologian that a lot of the Southern Baptists and the Presbyterians 
go by. He is very conservative. He's not like we wild <laughs> charismatics out here. Hallelujah. I love being a wild charismatic Pentecostal. I can't help myself. But I remember thinking, okay, let's see what Hallman has to say. It's almost like I wanted somebody to come against what I was saying because it was just too good to be true that our words have that much power. I, I, I want you to listen closely to the blessings and the curses we say out of our mouths and the power they have. And this is actually in the Bible study. It says, the unique concept of the spoken word, especially in the context of worship. Decree and declare when you're in worship at Global River. They're so loud that you won't bother anybody. Can I get a witness? I love it. Decree and declare what you're believing God to do for you. He inhabits the praise of his people. But it says right here, the unique concept of the spoken word, especially in the context of worship or other formal settings, is important for understanding the significance of both cursing and blessing. According to Old Testament thought patterns, the formally spoken word had both an independent existence and the power of its own fulfillment. The word, this is not capitalized, words, once spoken, assumed a history of its own, almost a personality of itself. The word also had the power of its own fulfillment. Does that make you rethink what you're saying? Does that make you want to say, this is something we need to take serious? How many people have grown children in this room? Okay. We a family, right? It's like we're sitting in my living room and we're talking about Jesus. How many people have grown children that you're waiting to walk in their destinies with God? Walk in their destinies with God. And grandchildren. I want you to watch your words. I want you to write out declarations over their lives. Psalm 103, verse 20, I, know, I, I referenced it a while ago. It says, when you speak the word of God, angels heed for it to happen. I say, if my French bulldog, Mr. Cheese, could say some scriptures, he could get some angels moving. Because the angels move on the word of God, not who's saying it. But if you a child of God saying it, I believe it's turbo force. So make a list. Say those scriptures. The Word of God is so powerful. Say it over your marriage. If you're looking for a man, single women on the front. If you're looking and in the back and all you single ladies in the house tonight, start saying the Word of God and quit saying, all the good men gone. I, I want to slap when I hear somebody. I'm like, well, they gone from you, honey. That's what I say. They are gone from you. You're not going to find them. They gone. And they looking at me like, she's a preacher talking like that. I'm just telling them what they said. 
You need to be saying, my Boaz is looking for me today. And the Bible says when a man finds a wife, he finds favor with God. So I got a man out here that's going to get some favor. Can I get a witness? You single women start decreeing and declaring and stop getting with your girlfriends talking about how sorry these men are. I have men coming by my office telling me how sorry these women are. So all of you need to start behaving, acting like you're saved, and God will send you somebody. Can I get a witness here? A huge amen from myself on that one. So when you were, um, you came in tonight, you were given a piece of paper. Stand to your feet, and we're going to break these negative words off of us now. Who wants to do that? Who wants to break words we've said? Amen. So I'm going to start, and we're just going to read this prayer together. Everybody read this prayer. Everybody. Ready, read. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me for all the negative and complaining words I have said against you, my family, or anyone else. I repent of sinning by using my own mouth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I receive your forgiveness for my mistakes with the words of my mouth. Anoint me to speak your words and only edifying words over myself, my family, and friends. I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus to erase those habits of negative and complaining words coming out of my mouth. Holy Spirit, make me aware of the power of my words and your words in my life. I break these robes of negative and complaining words from my life and take your word in Hebrews 4.12 to cut off these robes in the supernatural to no longer hinder me in my walk with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. I can hardly wait to receive the beautiful robe of righteousness in three weeks, although I know I became the righteousness of you, Father, through Jesus Christ the moment I was born again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Anoint me to finish this study and pray for my family in Christ who are in this study with me. I love you, Daddy. Thank you for sending your son to die for me so I can enter the promised land you have provided for me and my family. In the name of Jesus, my Savior, and the high priest of my confession. Hallelujah. Come on, give him praise. Praise. Praise God. I felt that. Hallelujah. Have a seat. Let's finish our robe tonight. Woo, that felt good, didn't it? That felt wonderful. The final robe tonight is one that we have all worn and can so easily slip back on. The robe of judgment and criticism. Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament defines judgment 
as a decision passed on the faults of others and can be cross-referenced with condemnation. When you're judging people, you are condemning people, and they can feel it. Noah Webster's Dictionary defines criticism as the act of judging based on someone's performance. Do you hear the pride in that? That I think that I can judge your walk with God. That is not biblical. And we especially do not be, do not need to judge the world. The world's going to be the world. We're going to win them through love. Then they're going to come into the kingdom. They're going to get saved. And as my anointed mama, Velma Balan, says, you don't have to beg saved people to behave. <laughs> the only, Paul judged the churches. Your leaders can judge the churches, can judge their sheep. But their judgment is with such, so much love and compassion. But it's not my job to judge you. It's my job to love you. Let me say that again. It's not my job to judge you. It's my job to love you. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save the world. It shouldn't surprise you because of my religious past and all the abuse I went through as a child that I used to be the judgment queen. And I think some women can battle this. It's probably passed down from a family member. You don't even know it's a generational curse. That you meet somebody, and I don't think men battle this nearly as much as women. But you meet somebody, and in 15 seconds, you can decide a million reasons not to like them, or there's just something off with them. That's sin. Set yourself free from that. You don't have to judge anybody. You can meet people. You can enjoy them. You can enjoy their God-given personality, and you don't have to judge them. And if you are trying to witness to them, show them love. Pray for them. Let them see how a real Christian acts. But we don't have to judge people. We're not in a courtroom every day judging people. We do not have to do that. I love the story in John 4 where Jesus Christ went to the woman at the well. If you look at the context of that scripture, that was the busiest time for the Lord on a preaching tour. People were getting saved and delivered. Thousands of people were trying to touch his robe, and it was amazing. And then all of a sudden, he said, I need to go to Samaria. Can you imagine those disciples? Samaria? The half-breeds? The dogs? The outcast? The Jewish people didn't even go and walk on their ground because if, they, if, the, if the dust of their ground got on their feet, they were considered contaminated. And the Lord said, I need to go to Samaria. What does that do? That makes you stop judging and hear the voice of God. And there he went to a five times divorced hoochie mama, as we call them in the South. 
with a sorry man that wouldn't even get up and get his own water. And he was waiting at the well for her. Don't you ever judge anybody by where they are. Because when God gets a hold of them, you may be prophesied by them and you may have hands laid on your child from the very one you thought there was nothing worth. And Jesus told this woman he was the Messiah. She was racist also. She didn't like Jews. And do you blame her? Because they didn't like her. And Jesus was waiting at that well. He was weary from his journey, the Bible says. When you get out of your judgment and you start working for Jesus and you start loving Jesus, you're going to get weary too. Working in the kingdom of God is not for the weak. And Jesus sat with her and told her everything she ever did and healed her and delivered her. And he wasn't even supposed to be talking to women. Come on, he broke that rule. Women were nobodies. Women were the, the outcasts. Women definitely didn't have any power. That's why whether you, let me, let, let me detour. I'm going to finish this in five minutes. That's why whether you're a Democrat, whether you are a Republican, we got a woman up as vice president in the United States of America. Girl power. Amen. Let's think about it. Let's th think about it. God is promoting women, whether you like her or whether you don't like her. Romans 13 says that you to pray for, and I need to get a witness. We have a woman that is the vice president of the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm in the South. See, Southern men really don't like women in power. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ. And by the way, the Lord spoke to me very strongly. And he said the year 2021 will be the year of the woman. And that God will promote his daughters like they've never been promoted before. And it will be the year of supernatural restoration to God's people. Supernatural restoration. But Jesus, stop preaching to see this woman at the well. Open your Bibles. I want you to look very quickly. And all theologians agreeing, and if you study theologians, that is a rare occurrence. They all agree that this was the first person Jesus Christ told he was the Messiah to. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. Look at this woman that... Jesus Christ left a huge crusade to come and see. Look at what happened when she realized Jesus was the Messiah. John 4, 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. 
Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Samaritans got it when the Jewish people didn't. We need to not judge. You can't decide who is going to accept Christ and who is not. Just obey him and do what he says. I will end with this story that, to me, describes how we cannot wear that robe of judgment and criticism. We can't do it. It doesn't fit us. We are called to witness to people. We are called to tell people Jesus loves them. As Jesse Duplantis says, our job is just to catch the fish. The Holy Ghost scales them <laughs> and cleans them up. Amen. Give me two minutes. I'll never forget when the Holy Spirit had me as the chaplain in a big state hospital for women inmates. And I would go um, cell by cell, but everything, it was a hospital. Everything was locked, but it was glass doors. And these women were in their cells, but they were very, very sick. And they had to be hospitalized because they were still serving their time. And so I remember we were passing out Bibles for Christmas. And I went into this one room. And when, when you walk in a room, you can tell if a woman is a Christian immediately by the spirit in that room or it's a very cold. You can, there's a difference when they're not believers. And I remember I walked in the room and I looked at this woman. I had a, my team member with me and I said, we're giving out Bibles for Christmas. What color would you like? They're beautiful Bibles. And I said, can I give you a Bible? She looked very pale. She was having a hard time breathing. And she said, I am a witch. I don't want your Bible. And I remember I was so taken back that I, I immediately, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I heard as clear as a bell as I've ever heard in my life. I heard the Holy Spirit say, love her like Jesus. At that point, I looked at her and I said, may I sit on the bed and talk with you? And she said, sure, sure. And she looked at me and she said, now my daughter would love you. She said, my daughter's a Christian just like you. And she's praying for me. And I said, isn't that wonderful that she's praying for you? And I remember talking to her and I said, why are you in the hospital? Can I please pray with you? And she said, I have lung cancer. And I remember I heard that lover like Jesus. And I said, may I please pray for you because Jesus can heal you. And she said, why not? I remember laying hands on her right here and I just spoke under the anointing of God. And I remember feeling the heat of God. And I said, do you feel that? And she said, yes, I do. And I said, praise God. And it was so funny how at first her reaction was to back me off. But because of the love of God, and I'm not judging her, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to move in. Then we 
um, handed out some Bibles, and I remember thinking, well, her daughter's a Christian. I bet she would like to send her daughter a Bible for Christmas. And so the Holy Spirit said, take her. I'd finished praying and visiting the other sick inmates. And the Holy Spirit said, take her a purple Bible. And I heard purple. And so I went back to her room, had the guards open her room up. And I said, the Holy Spirit sent me here and said to give you a purple Bible for your daughter that you can mail to her. And she went, that's my daughter's favorite color. Well, I got real excited then. And then I remember the next time I came to that prison, about a month later, she wasn't in her hospital bed. She actually came out, and she was in the area where we did devotionals, and she was listening to devotions. And she looked at me, and she said, I've got to talk to you. And I said, what is it? She said, I no longer have lung cancer. They said they misdiagnosed me, and it was just a lung infection. I said, that wasn't a lung infection. You've been healed. She said, I must have. The next time I came back, she gave me a card, and she said, I've become one of you. Can you believe it? can believe it. I was thinking, I can believe it because you about scared me out of your room. He said, I'm a witch. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know. But the Holy Spirit said, no, love her like Jesus. Let's get rid of these robes of judgment and criticism. Stand to your feet. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you that you let me get all these robes taught tonight. And I thank you that you have been glorified because we honor your word. I speak in the name of Jesus that the robes of judgment and criticism that I know I have even participated in is broken off of us. I speak in Jesus' name that those robes are gone from the people of God, and we can truly go out in love with the Father's love, and we can go out and believe what you say in your word, that love never fails. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to teach taking off the robes. And I honor you, Lord, for Pastor Tom and First Lady Jenny. I thank you for Pastor Willie, Pastor Terry, every staff member in this church. I speak blessings over the congregation, all the visitors here tonight, all listening online. I speak blessings on them, and I thank you, the ugly robe of judgment and criticism, religion and tradition, and negative words and complaining have been tugged at unbelievably, and we are throwing them off tonight as the children of God. And I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, and I praise you, and I honor you, God. Thank you for touching bodies here tonight. There are people that have been in pain, and that pain is lessening. Thank you for healing bones tonight. Thank you for healing cancer. Thank you for healing inflammation and headaches. Thank you for every cell in everyone's body under the sound of my voice and in this beautiful church that is covered by the blood of Jesus. It is your will to heal us, Lord, and liberate us. It is your will that we go forth and we are whole and we are healed in our minds and in our bodies. And I thank you, Lord, for your people being completely healed. 
We honor you, Lord. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I love you. Can't wait to see you again.